Welcome uh, to the Euphoria Podcast. This is episode nine. That's right. We're available on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, really anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, obviously, some people last week noted that we were missing on a few platforms. Our producer, Deppa and Florian, they're on top of that. They're making it happen. Our guest today is Grabs, coach of G2 Esports, legendary punching bag for his pro players, and of course, the draft god himself. We're going to be talking about the big news, MSI getting moved. How does it affect G2, current uh, LEC champion? And hopefuls how does it affect everyone else what's it going to look like and also drafting how do you draft how do you set up is it as simple as scaling always wins we're going to answer those questions and more all right so first big topic of the day uh sad news but it feels like necessary news so due to covid19 the coronavirus um MSI has been moved. Now, this is going to affect a lot of stuff out there in the ecosystem. I don't know a whole lot about this. I'm kind of just reading what was on the announcement. If you haven't seen it, allesports.com is the place to go. Uh, but basically, MSI has now been delayed to some point in the middle of summer split. Summer split now starts on uh, May 22nd, so I believe three weeks after our playoffs end. And then from the 3rd to the 19th of July, we have MSI. So basically, I don't I don't want to give exact time frame, but essentially around the time that I am Katowice slash Riff Rivals would have been, we now have MSI, which um, sounds like an utter utter nightmare to navigate yeah. as a coach. Grabs like, how are you feeling, dude? Like, obviously it's a tough time. This feels like something had to give, right? But how how are you and the team kind of reacting to this news? We had the entire structure around how we want to avoid burnout over the year, and then suddenly. Right, it's like, guess what? Rift Rivals in the middle of the split. Um, it will be a challenge um, because ultimately, especially the whole jet lag um, where you lose like four days, basically, um, will, of course, hurt a lot. I think also in the middle of the spring, it means there's no actual boot camp for the tournament. It means every team just goes there and then hopes for the best. Mm. That's how it sounds like. So I'm kind of worried also what happens if you come back because there were two new patches we haven't played on, the other teams have. Um, so yeah, I think it just, I mean, maybe the best ride could do given the circumstances. So I don't want to like be too negative, but it's going to be hard for sure for which team flies there. So on that subject of kind of, uh, burnout and managing that, you talked a lot, uh, when you were on PGL with uh, quick shot about how you were kind of trying to keep things more fun, trying to keep things more relaxed. How much does your prep change for MSI? If we assume G2 makes it there, if you go from playing some LEC team in like week four, week five, week six, whenever it is, sometime in the middle of the split, you know, to then immediately playing the, I don't know, the SKTs of the world, the Kings yeah. of the yeah. world. Hopefully not winning the FPX or IG, hopefully someone else because else you go you're free again. No, um, I think what hurts the most is the preparation time because you learn so much during boot camps. Um, I specifically remember the time within Korea before last year's MSI where we played against the Korean meta. We learned about how they approach tricks and we actually could improve our game from that. This just falls flat completely. So sure, it's hype because it just checks the metas. Basically, whatever region has the best read in the game will win. And you won't have the time to change that. Um, so that's kind of hype. But at the same time, it will not improve the team that goes there, which for me was always like the selling point. Like sure, MSI is a great tournament. And as a competitor, you want to win it. But as a coach, like just having the learn effect is really important, which you won't have there. So um that's a bit rough. And I mean, it won't change our schedule or like our structure for spring at all. Because again, um, we said after having two years of experience, I mean, besides Nikki, every player on this team went twice in a row at least semifinals worlds. Uh, 
Caps went MSI, Worlds Finals, MSI, Worlds Finals. Um, so we're just very aware about how we want to avoid burnout. That also means in some games, if the scrim wasn't clean, we just don't review. Um, after scrims, we play Magic together. Before Fnatic, we played Magic until 3 a.m. And we were like, who do you play tomorrow? Fnatic. Okay, we should go to sleep. Um, so we're just avoiding um, basically the stress. And then we say towards summer, we can actually amp the the um, cadence of, of scrimming. Um, that's also why, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird because we're kind of like Schrodinger's G2, where like every fan and also casters hold us to like a very high standard, but also say we're trolling at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like we, depending on what they want to say, we either try hard and really hard and we like the the go-to team compared to like Liquid, for example, where we did a lot, or we're just not taking it seriously. Um, so it's kind of weird. Yeah, we just take, Spring for us is we want to win, of course. Like these players can't go into a game saying they don't want to win. It doesn't work. But we're not willing to like actually put in the extra time in spring because we know how hard summer will be. Mm. And I think MSI doesn't change that much because I mean, if you have MSI before or after or in the middle, it doesn't matter because the time frame is the same. Um, so only not having MSI at all would have had an impact in that regard. But yeah, we're just gonna like try harder in, in summer and actually like play more games, be more thoughtful about it. Speaking specifically kind of about how broadcast or how people in general talk about G2, I, let me just say on behalf of the entire broadcast team, your team is a goddamn nightmare to talk about. Because <laughs> you're like, yeah, we're taking it, not taking it seriously, we're having fun. But you're also the best or second best team in our league. I would say best now that you've beaten Fnatic. But like, some yeah, to zero. So I mean, I mean, best of five. Come on, this we won the last best of five. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. That's what <laughs> I'm, saying. I'm saying like, uh, obviously, like playoffs will decide everything. But like, you're also yeah, as you said, having fun, playing magic until three in the morning, not super tryharding. Obviously, always trying to win. You guys aren't going to take yeah. it not seriously. You are, um, I think, respectful competitors to an extent. If you don't pick Garen. Yeah, if you don't pick the Garens or the Cossacks <laughs> of the world, right? Um, like the look you gave me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind taking that W. Again, I mean, the comp was functioning without the Garen, but yeah, we didn't get there. Um, Actually, sorry to jump in. No I think this is important because a certain player, Devilift, got a lot of flag for not being motivated. And I'm going to say, motivation is a really hard topic. And esports is young, and there are players in the NBA, NFL, and football who actually struggle with it because it's really hard to go from playing at Worlds against the best to coming back playing best of ones against X team. And I don't mean no disrespect, but... Um, knowing that these games in the big context of what you want to achieve don't matter as much. Um, it's really hard. So like when TL slumped, that's why I mentioned it. Um, fans said like, oh, compare TL to G2. G2 is still trying really hard and winning and TL is slacking. We're not trying really hard. We're just, I mean, in the context of our league, really good. So we get away with it. Mm -hmm. But probably you have the same attitude as Liquid because you are tired still. And um, it's very easy to say, ah, oh, he should be motivated. It's so easy. It's not. Like, it's really not. This guy played on the highest level in NA for, what now, six, seven years? Yep. Like, contesting titles. Wants to go to Worlds and actually get out of groups. This is his goal. His goal is not to win a best of one against the mortals on any team. And sure, we can say, we should say we have to hold those players in higher standards. But it's only human and understandable that he cannot bring this 100% every single week for spring split, going to summer and best of ones, if in his head all that matters to him is actually reaching quarterfinals Worlds. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's always kind of a difficult discussion, and we always end up in this um, position where priorities for a player and for, like, a league are going to be very different, right? Because at the end of the day, 
whether this is right or not, like the thing that really matters the most to pro players, as far as I, I can tell, and I don't think this is like a very hard read to make, is worlds, right? Winning worlds and doing well in worlds is the thing that matters most. Because chances are, if you've won an LEC title, you can win another LEC title. Like more often than not, we, most people who have won outside of Alliance, actually all people who have won, have won again, pretty much, right? I think also for, it depends on the circumstances. Because I remember when you guys made the, the new roster, Caps moved from Fnatic. That was like a lot of pressure. Mickey came from the dumb Sapphire that was Misfits. And there was Perks switching to AD Carry. There was a lot of stakes, right? In your first split that you played, there was a lot to prove. And I remember Spring Split, you guys had a level up until the point where like Mickey's injury was in the way and uh, you subbed in Promise Q and that made things harder. I think it's the same for C9, right? Zen came from TSM. Uh, he had a, a horrible uh, year over there, or however long he was. I don't know how long he was there. And then uh, with the rest of C9, they had the whole debacle with uh, Sneaky leaving, and there was a lot of eyes on C9, so they had a lot to prove. They have a reason to uh, to fight. And I think now uh, Doublelift coming back, I think on that context, I could imagine for him, at least in the case of uh, C9 being a competitor, I think that is something that could maybe excite him. But uh, I agree with your sentiment for sure. I, I started to think about what would G2 look like in a world where there was no Fnatic. I think you guys would look even worse during the regular split yeah. because there was nothing to really wake up for. Yeah. I think um, that's important to highlight as well. And in the context of the whole schedule change, uh, I think for any team that goes to MSI, it's probably way, way worse. But for any team that doesn't go, I think just having three-week break between the splits is is amazing. Like that's like if if you're a team that, for example, let's say you lose in quarters, all of a sudden there's this big chunk of time where um, it's hard to decide what you really want to do because, like, you can either keep practicing or you can take a break and then practice again. There is no good way of maneuvering it if you are not in a position where you're playing like every uh, tournament. And now, if you go to quarters, for example, with all these rookie teams, Misfits and so forth, Mad Lions, I think this is super beneficial for them because they can actually continue their growth, take a relatively reasonable break and then uh, continue on. And uh, then whenever MSI happens, that's another break to kind of reset and build towards playoffs when you guys are in a position where you have to prepare for MSI and so forth. Uh, I also think what's going to be really interesting is for the teams that don't go is that we say MSI is in the middle of the split somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, we um, don't know exactly what So we, I'm, I'm not assuming it's going to be in the first three weeks, let's say, because that wouldn't be in the middle, it would be in the beginning. That means that these teams actually have a reasonable time frame going into playoffs or like running towards playoffs to say, okay, we have now four weeks time because of MSI to actually learn again how we want to play the game, reset from being, let's say, a team can be 0-8 or something, and then, I mean, maybe that's a bit too rough, right? But technically, say like let's say that 2-6 and say, okay, this is how the eight games went. We are now four weeks time, like a boot camp again. And I think that can be very exciting for the teams, um, but it, that's also going to hurt the team that goes to MSI. Yeah. Because it's going to be a different patch, and sure, something translates, no matter what. But as I said, there's no boot camp, so you don't really learn that much. I mean, you can scrim against them in between games, but it's not as effective as having a boot camp. Mm. Um, so just going to level the playing field, and that's the one thing I'm worried about, is that it will just give a disadvantage to the team that goes, so you're kind of getting punished for winning the split now. That's how it feels, at least, from uh, watching the schedule and um, how it plays out. Um, but ultimately, it's just what it is, right? Um, we have to deal with the circumstances. We might not win the split. Um, Fnatic looks good. Um, and the other teams, I, I, if I'm honest, I don't see right now how they would win a best of five against us. Um, not saying they can't take games of us. Especially Mad Lions. I mean, either they 
they play like gods or they <laughs> they don't know how to function. So it's gonna be interesting how they play. Um, but yeah, I just think for for now the the team that goes has um, some things to think about a lot to like not avoid being bad after. Yeah, I think it's really difficult because the thing about and once again, don't know 100% that this is in like exactly where Rift Rivals was. It's just in a similar time frame. I know specifically because it says it starts on July 3rd. And every time I've gone to Rift Rivals, it's been around the 4th of July time. Um, but like Rift Rivals was a difficult tournament for players, I think, safe well, to say. It was nice because um, it felt relatively low stakes, I right. think. So players a lot of times got to chill and they got to have fun. You know, like when I ran into you and your boys at, at the last NA Rift Rivals, like... Yeah, it wasn't the most ideal circumstances. And to be fair, LCS made specific um, kind of consolations around understanding the fact that three of their teams didn't get to scrim their normal scrim partners. Yeah. And they kept it on the same patch. Despite the patch, fact that patch X whatever was out, they kept it on the previous patch for an extra week so that these guys could stay on it. So I hope we see some of the same stuff. But the thing that scares me is it's just it's not a tournament that can be taken lightly. And it's not a tournament where you talk about pressure on your players, you talk about motivation. It seems like because of where it's at, motivation is going to be difficult because you go one week from doing this, like regular season, summer split, which you said your guys might take more uh, more seriously. And like we'll see if that's true maybe for Fnatic if they end up in that boat. But then to immediately have to go from regular season, it's about improving, it's about getting a playoff spot and looking towards Worlds, to immediate MSI. Yeah. Have to win, you're representing Europe, entire pride of your league is on is on your shoulders it's just like it's just it's such an incredibly stark contrast and i'm just i'm i'm worried about the the toll it will take obviously like it's one of those things where at a certain point you just have to be like it is what it is you you find a way to deal with it um but kind of rounding back to uh the discussion about about the priority on the regular season i think this is going to be one of the things that's really interesting is that like from my perspective as as a caster, as a broadcaster, like I always want people to really value LEC, right? Because this, this is the shit that I'm proud of, right? This is the shit we work on every week. This is where you guys make all your crazy content for most of the year, where like we make our crazy content, we have a good time, where I think like all of our really cool rivalries are. But it's just so hard when the same teams win all the time in every domestic league, right? Like we have, let's say two top teams right now, two truly top teams in you and Fnatic that I think are like international contenders. Like maybe OG could do well as well. Who knows, maybe Misfits or Mad Lions if they're playing those perfect games that you talked about. But it's, I think it's always hard to, to keep people engaged in like our, in our regular league or keep players engaged in our regular league when this is kind of, has and sadly become often for most many top players across different leagues, North America, LEC, LPL less so, uh, just because the competition there I think is so fierce, but like it's the stepping stone to international competition. It's more like a, not a speed bump, but it's like the, like you need to be this good to play internationally. Can you beat Origin in a best of five, right? Or can you go toe to toe with Fnatic in a best of five? It's also hard to like build hype and build better teams if the format doesn't allow it. Mm. And best of ones, I mean, I, I know it's better for viewership. I mean, we all know it, right? Um, but there is this caveat that teams can't play anything else than the perceived best strategy all the time. So they play one style in scrims this week, hope it works on stage. Um, I mean, Yamato can agree that as a coach, best of fives are the best because you can learn what they do during the game. Yeah, yeah. You can adapt between games. You can tell them, okay, this is what I saw from them this time around. They will attack you here, play differently, and you like evolve during the best of five as a team. Or even the best of three, I mean, back then. 
Um, and that we don't have. So it's really hard for those teams to catch up to a team like Fnatic and Donas. And to be fair, we're also um, not the best scrim partners because especially in spring where we say ourselves we don't take it too seriously, that also means we don't play disciplined. That means there might be games where at 10 minutes they're 15 kills or 20 or 30. And then might it's also hard, yeah, and, <laughs> and it's hard for them to learn, right? Um, There's definitely at least one game in every scrim block, a I game mean, with 20 kills. Also, the worst part is in the past, I could say, guys, you're, you're trolling, like be serious. But then we lose against LPL, LPL gets world champions, and our scrims are like this. Like they invade your level one and they will fight your 5v5 if they have to. And then my players say, well, LPL did it, they're world champions, so do the same. Um, so yeah, it's just weird because again, for example, last week it was a hype week. We played Origin Fnatic, but as I mentioned, because the perceived threat is only Fnatic, from historically as well, that we've talked about the entire week. Okay, what will Fnatic do? And then we just said, wait, we play Origin first, guys. Hmm. Like it's in Origin, and but Fnatic, <laughs> and that's that's what players actually want to play as well for, right? Um, motivation comes back in because that's your big rival, and we know they're really good. And if we don't play our best, we can lose. And that would actually hurt the ego because we think they're really good. Um, if we lose against a different opponent, it's not that important because we know as a fact, and as, as arrogant as it sounds, I think you also need to be arrogant as a good team, by the way, um, we would not lose a best of five against them. Against Fnatic, we would be like, okay, they can actually beat us. Um, but then again, if teams don't have the chance on stage to actually try out a bit and say, okay, we tank a game and then we have two more, um, potentially, it's hard them to catch up as well. I'm hoping... like. The ideal world that I see us in in the future is that they just adopt, like for example, like the football model, basically like one long season, no spring split, and then it gives a lot of room. Maybe there's a competition on the side. Maybe there's a best of five tournament going on, like the uh, Europa Cup or yeah. whatever, and you have mixed competition where you get to test things more. And uh, I think because it just feels like we're moving towards a direction where spring is going to become more and more obsolete. And I think uh, we can slot in an MSI. We pro we're proving it this year that you can slot it in in the middle of a split. And I think we're going to eventually move to a time where there's just one long season, uh, like in traditional sports. So I, I'm curious, like, um, don't want to like, it's it's tough because like obviously I'm like Mr. Ryan employee on the desk and I don't want to like make any promises because I don't I don't have, I have literally nothing to do with format but I but I am curious um, like why do you because when franchising came around or long term partnerships rather it felt like it felt like to me like a good clear sign that people could take risks and I think we've seen that in rookie talent people are a lot more willing to like bring up rookie talent and experiment with rookie talent I think that's cool why don't we see the same thing when it comes to strategies on stage strategies and scrims. Um, why are people like willing to take risks on this talent, but not necessarily willing to take risks on these like best of one games? Because at the end of the day, like Vitality's not going anywhere. Like that's the perk of long-term partnership. And I trust that Vitality are going to keep tryharding and they're going to keep getting better and they're not going to take advantage of the situation. But um, you know, in theory, they could experiment every week. And if in spring it meant you know 018, but in summer it meant a much better team. Like, is that something that people would be happy with? Um, the clear answer is that in the best of one, you lack the comparison. Again, scrims are very volatile, so you can never say, was the strategy actually good, or did they run it down, or did we have lucky ganks, you know, what can happen, like I heard about, for example, um, not to leak our scrims from an A, where they say, like, Elises take Hex Flash and, like, Hex Flash level 2 on the wall and kill you, right, which mm -hmm. would never happen on stage. And if you have a best of one, so if you take rookie talent, over the season you can see, okay, how much worth was it, like, we are 6, 12, 7, 11, you know, we see, okay, towards the end, um, they improved and we won more games, so therefore the, the, um, the rookie talent paid off. 
if you have best of ones and you try something, you don't have the comparison against that certain team mm. if the other set would have worked out. No. Because it's very different if you play a skate to playing G2, if you play from Vitality, if you play Origin. It's very different. And so in the best of three, you could actually have two games, one time you try this, the other time you try this, and then we see what felt better. In the best of one, you can't. Um, so I think that's the, the reason why there's no, no, no effect or nothing that you can actually like um, validate the, the risk you take in the best of one. For me, like, so I, I have, I'm on the fence, right? Because, like, I think you're right in that, like, best of one to me always feels like it sticks more with people. Because, like, we tried. Everyone remembers double stream, best of three year. That was, like, not a good year for competitive yeah. League of Legends. That was too much. And, like, there's a lot of people out there who are like, that was great, blah, blah, blah. But, like, that's not what the numbers said. So whatever yeah. Joe Schmo over there said about how much he loved best of three, that's, like, one small voice in the scheme of things. Um and I think best of three is cool. I'm curious though, and this is like, I'm indulging myself here because my favorite format of all time is, it's not technically a best of, but the set the sets of two games where 2-0 gets three points. I want to know how you guys feel about this because I don't think I've ever talked to either of you about this because it comes up so rarely because we're so clearly locked in best of one. I liked it. Same. I liked yeah? It a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, because I think people hated that like you could go 1-1 and there wasn't a clear winner. But for me, it's like, I don't want to watch the full three games of nine versus 10. Like every time G2 Fnatic comes around, you're like, hell yeah, best of three. But I also like, and maybe people don't like this, that I don't have all the answers in regular season. Mm. A team going one-on-one to me is hype because it means if I get to see those people go into a best of five, that's like, that's banging. Because yeah. they went they went one-one in both their games. They're like evenly matched, depending <laughs> on what the games look like, obviously. I think also for me, is it's the fairest format. Because over the patches also it changes which set is stronger. And yes, you can make the argument that you can always like in one best of three, one team chooses one one free and the other the other, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's fair to say if teams are equally good, they should be allowed to go even and not be slave or like um depending on the oh, slave is a bad word, I'm sorry. <laughs> um depending on what patch we're currently at. And um this can also change over time. So let's say for example that on one patch where you can choose one and three it's really good to have blue side. And when you, the return match happens, it doesn't matter as much. That means um, you're kind of forcing a winner in, in an environment which you can't control as a team um, because they lack certain um, elements from outside, like the patch, that will influence that. So I like the idea of going 1-1. I think this is fair. And as you said, like um, um, this will all, can also build hype towards the best of five where there has to be a winner suddenly. So I like that a lot. Yeah, I liked it too, honestly. Yeah, I just, it felt fine to walk away with the 1-1. It felt good to, like, especially as a coach. Like, when you when you play best of ones, it's like, you're done with the draft and then it's like, fly. It's like, yeah. you're done. You're sitting there and, like, sure, you're watching the game, you're listening to your players and you're taking in what's, what's happening. But uh, there is a sense of excitement and also a sense of responsibility and preparing coming into the next game. I think that is... There is a clear skill in adapting between games that I think, for me, is the most exciting part uh, as a coach, at least inside of the game, like when you're there in the studio. And I think that element gets completely lost uh, in, in best of ones, obviously. Like, sure, there's some adaptation between the day and, and so forth, but uh, uh, best of twos, you could showcase skill sets that are going to matter later on in the split. Because, for example, with, with Vitality, like last year, we had a very, very rough start. And then in the end, like we couldn't really learn more play, ways to play the game. So we just played through top 
every game because we needed to have wins on the board. And um, eventually when we came into best of fives, we were just sitting there and we just had one way to play and it was very easy to, to deal with us. It's like, okay, Cabo doesn't get fed and the game is over. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Cheers. And maybe with best of twos, we could have explored that uh, way more. Yeah. I mean, it's... I love best of two. I'm not going to lie. I'm a big best of two. <laughs> I, I, people always get mad at me for the language best of two. I love sets of two games, however you want to call it, whatever the appropriate uh, definition is. But I will say this, like our league, our format is always evolving. I think our, our league ops team, the team that decides things like format that uh, sets teams up uh, behind the scenes with that kind of stuff. Um, I have faith in them. Like playoffs evolved this year. I think it's... As convoluted as it may sound to people on the outside, I do think our playoffs format is more hype, is more interesting. So we'll see what I trust them to balance the interest of player burnout, player improvement, team improvement with, uh, you know, sustainability, health of the league. And that's always going to be, I think, a very big puzzle. So we'll see what it evolves to in the future. Um, and let us know, actually, on Twitter what you preferred. I'm I'm actually just curious what people like, what people get fired about, up about, what people watch because there's a lot of people out there like preaching to me all the time how they want best of three back, and I think they're full of crap. I'm mean, I guarantee they want best of three back because they watch one best of three a week and it's whatever the hype one is yeah, and they yeah. watch nothing else, and that's cool if you're that person. I definitely get it. You don't have nine hours; you just want the three hours that you watch League of Legends to be really, really sick. I get there you that. go. Just make match of the week best of three. Yeah. <laughs> Every <week>. Every, everything <laughs> else one game. Yeah, yeah. Just no balance. We just cut out competitive integrity. That's the solution. We just make you play a best of five versus Fnatic every week. Everyone else plays a best of one <laughs> on the side. That's good stuff. All right. Uh, when we come back from the break, drafting, uh, winning the game, the right way to play League of Legends, scaling, a lot of things that everyone seems to have different opinions about, we will break down for you right here. All right. Now, so for the past week, Reddit has been up in arms about something that I didn't think that many people would be fired up about, and that's math, specifically Morello versus Leandris, or oh. more importantly, LS versus Mark C. Now, I think this argument is dead, personally. I think like people can understand that contextually things that are different, and there's like a lot of different opinions, but I think people are over it. But I don't think what people need more of is Mark Z versus LS. So in a rapid-fire question round, I'm going to ask you who wins in a 1v1 at a number of things between Mark Z and LS. Yes, we're making clickbait. Okay. Live with it, boys. This is how it's going to go. So let's start. 1v1 in League of Legends, LS versus Mark Z, who wins? LS. Easy. Oh, I'm Easy. answering too? Yeah, yeah. LS, yeah. Good. Marcus, 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 Mark was good at some point when he was like the TLI analyst. I don't know if he's kept up, but yeah. LS, obviously, Korean server. All right. Math. 1v1. No holds barred. Who's better? Mark had a spreadsheet. We've witnessed it. Mark had a stats team. Mark has. I also would say LS. I also say LS. LS. Okay, all right. Let's 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 try something else. Uh, let's. I don't Mark know anything about Mark Zion. Yeah. <laughs> makes this harder. It's harder. There's not as many front page Twitch clips of Mark Z. We need we need to know. Uh, <laughs> last question, and I feel like this one might swing in the other direction. One v one cage fight to the death. Okay. Wins LS or Mark Z? The viewers. <laughs> yes, the viewers. <laughs> all I'm saying, Riot. Is that there's always an opportunity to expand into new formats, new content ideas. MSI, obviously, we're changing time. Why not mix it up a little bit? Why not add cast or cage fights? That's my pitch to you. And uh, yeah, now back to the show. <laughs> All right, welcome back. This is the part of the the show where Grabs gets to you talk to us a lot about his specific philosophy, I think, on League of Legends, on drafting, okay. on how champions scale, all the clickbaity <laughs> topics that people want. Um, 
And I just to get us kicked off, I would love to know, like, when it comes to drafting, because it's obviously a very nuanced thing. There's a lot of variables to take into account. And there's a lot of different opinions. I would love to know, like, your philosophy. Is there, like, a grabs draft strategy 101 that you can, like, pitch to us without leaking all of your strat? Uh, first of all, I think um, player skill should be able to be expressed during draft. Um, I'm not a fan. I never was of, like, having these objective draft wins where, like, I really hate teams that, let's say, draft for team fight and they take everything else aside and just, we need team fight champions. Um, because, first of all, it's very easy to read. Secondly, um, I mean, it's one-dimensional, of course. So, for example, what we do in G2 is basically um, I prepare mostly the first three picks and I say these are the, like, the core champs we have. Um, they do certain things. And then, because also... What um, gets lost a lot during discussions is that, of course, there are lay matchups, but every champ interacts with every champion. So I have way more trust that Perks looks at their four champs and can tell me this one champ, regardless of lane, works well against those four mm. and can work independently of the other three champs we have. So I give him the freedom. And then sometimes, I mean, for example, because I just say it because the clip happens so often where like Nukta kills um, Caps of Zed. That happened because we were lost in 4-5 because both players had freedom and we couldn't agree on something. So that's then my bet, right? So that's like this balancing act where I want to give them freedom, but also I need sometimes to be like a bit more strict. But I think, yeah, player, player expression and player skill is very important. Um, I don't like the idea that you have to play to one win condition. I think every champ can function in every certain comp. That means a teamfight champ can also go on sideline. A sideline champ can also teamfight, just the conditions are different. Um, that's also why, for example, let's say you have four teamfight champs. If you pick an Akali, she can do both. She can give you another win condition by winning lane and going side. You can suddenly play to that, but she can also find a flank. And um, I think since Korea dominated the league for so long, uh, many analysts um, are still of the idea that scaling is really adding of teamfighting. And all this comp teamfights against this, and this will clearly win because the numbers are better. But they need to ask questions. How does the fight start? Is it front to back? Do the teams actually clash in front of each other? Can somebody flank? Um, for example, against um, also how other teams play, because I can talk about this now, SKT. We knew for a fact they are very good at doing Drake, but they do the same thing over and over. Khan would always move to Drake because they want to Drake. That means it removes a decision-making for us in the game about our comp, how we want to approach it, because we know our comp can't face check. Therefore, we go sides, Wonder gets the lead on sideline. Because they do four drags, Wonder suddenly has a two-level lead and in 50 CS more. Blind pick Camille. Yeah. Yeah, for example, I, I mean, <laughs> so yeah, um, it's just, it just really hard. Because again, I think there's no objective way of measuring drafts, because ultimately if you win, the draft is good. If you lose, the draft is bad. Um, in our case, sometimes if you win, my draft is still bad. Um, but that's just that's just the the general thing, right? Um, but yeah, I'm just not a big fan of having this one-dimensional style where you go into the game and say, okay, guys, our win condition is team fighting, so we only team fight. Because I think against a good team, there's no way you win. So then why where does this kind of like come from? You talked about it coming from Korea, but like I think you're in a very privileged position i would like to i would say because you you coach like g2 you coach players with a lot of flexibility they can do a lot of different things you're like i want to i want to draft that shows off and lets players express their skill all five of your players are pretty damn good like you're you're in a good position there that's a lot of flexibility but i'm wondering like how do you feel about teams let's say that aren't necessarily world contender lower down in the standing how do you feel about those kind of teams drafting a composition that you said hey maybe it does just win via team fighting it is just 
I don't know, scaling picks. They're not going deeper. They're not asking those deeper questions. How do you feel about teams like that doing drafts like that? I mean, then we go back to the whole burst of one where these teams can't afford to actually experiment on stage. Like, I can see why they do it, right? And um, it's not like I hate them for it or I criticize them for it. Um, I just think if you have aspirations to be good, you can't afford to fall into this this pattern, I think. Um, so if, if teams in the middle of the table want to do it, all part of them, because you can also bridge learning time by giving the players the same thing over and over again. And that in the meantime, you can work on other stuff, right? I mean, for example, to set yourself like um, you guys are comfortable playing through cover shot yeah. on stage, you can do it. Um, you know instantly they know how to recognize the win conditions. Of course, against better teams who will see that, it's hard. Yeah. But um, if you always have the same environment, you can also see learning effects of other stuff. Yeah, I think, so, yeah, sorry, go ahead. So if you vary too much, of course, then you can never know what's good. Mm. Um, so I'm not saying that is bad entirely. It's just more about, yeah, again, if you want to like actually win internationally, that's why, okay, I'm flabbing Origin a lot because I know they can be really good. Like player-wise, um, they have a good coach, good coaching staff. So like, I'm kind of targeting them because I want to see more of them in that regard. But they play the same style every time and that's why I also don't think they can beat us in a best of five. Mm. And that's just the overall sentiment we have. Whereas Fnatic, they can always throw us a curveball. They can also adapt in-game. And that's why it's so hard against them. That's also why it's so hard against us. Because if we... Okay, I'm going. I'm talking too long, I know. But, um, yeah, you're fine. This is for what example, want to know. Um, stuff like, let's say, we 2018 at Worlds, we were like a push team. And Wonder and Perks, or Wonder and Caps, are always really good on sideline. And the discussion always goes, okay, how do you play sideline? So look the matchup, Wonder against enemy top laner. Does he win? Yes or no. If he wins, very easy. He pushes in, moves to get a flank. They have to go pressure. We get what we want. He doesn't win. Okay. Then we look at the game. Does our jungle top win? Aatrox the least. Suddenly it's a different dimension than only Aatrox into a certain champion. Because now the AP damage isn't there. The other top laner probably hasn't built around that. Then you can say, no, we don't win to be two because they have the same thing. Then you talk about the next step. Okay, do we actually win mid-top together? Because we sometimes consciously put perks and wonder in the same lane and push together because the APAD, they have more levels than the other team has, and we try to force something there. Um, I mean, same goes for team fighting, right? How do you approach it? So, again, it's just really, really hard. And if you're a good team, you can recognize the stuff in the game. Um, and that's, I think, I mean, of course, my players are really good, as we said, right? It's not like I do much there and tell them, oh, this is how you win the game. They know because they're good enough. Um, but that's also something I think gets lost if you focus on that one win condition you want to play around. Because that's how I would define like drafting. Because usually, like, like if I draft, it has to it, like it starts from from the early game. You have to have like a point of pressure, like you described. Like, let's say, okay, we're going to play uh, through top. We have Jace top. We have Jace Elise. We play through top. We pressure there. I think if you can create an environment at any point in the game where you win a situation with even numbers, basically, as you mentioned, two v two top, for example, if you are creating space, you have prior, that always gives you an avenue to how to play the game. I think teamfight compositions, when you have teamfight composition versus teamfight composition, they clash, so they fight around the same space and they contest the same space. But then there are scenarios where you want to split. And I think just making sure you have a pressure point in order to create space, because I think even those compositions that might be worse on a teamfight, let's say you have uh, champions in mid, let's say you have Ezreal Brom, they get mid prior. And then you win split two, but enemy team comp is like Lulu, Kogma, Sejuani, just working off of the space that you can create with with even numbers, I think is very, very underestimated because let's say you're at the Nash, you have all the bush control, you have the flanks, 
all of a sudden the composition doesn't matter anymore because you're working from the points of pressure that you have. And I think uh, this is very, very often forgotten. You can't just full draft scaling because I think at almost any point of the game you need to have a kind of a basis of what you want to play through in order to create space. Um, also one thing in the same regard is I think um, we can start talking about positioning and vision as an extra champion. Yeah. In a way that I mean if both teams are um, team fight comes, the one who has the face check will always lose. Always. Yeah. The one that has no vision will always lose. So for example, um, sometimes I hear criticism about certain comps, they have no engage, how they want to force fights. Well, your first on the objective, you make them come into you. That's your engage. They have to come to you. If that takes five drags, then that's what it takes, right? Um, but yeah, I just wanted to bring that in that um, it's not only the champs that interact, it's about, as I said, the pressure you have in the game, the vision you have in the game. Um, again, positioning, for example, I mean, uh, we talked about this beforehand, the Fnatic drafting game one, we played against them with the Vega GP. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we know we can't walk into them. So depending on the game state, if they are the Drake, we're not going to face check. We know, okay, we trade the Drake away, we go topside, because then they have to retake at some point, they come into us, and then suddenly Vega Cage is not that useful anymore. The barrels are not useful anymore because they have to come into us, we can hit them. Yeah. Um, and that's again recognizing your win condition in the game. And of course, the better your players are, the easier it gets because they talk about us constantly. Um, so again, it's not a coaching thing, it's about just player skill. And I'm very lucky to have the five best players in the world, probably, in Europe. Um, but yeah, there are so many things that go into the game and how to play out. <laughs> just sorry, just real quick. Both those caveats that you said there, just from, that's how you know a man has been scarred at international events. Hey, I'm probably very lucky. Or I'm very lucky to have the five best players in the role, probably in Europe. <laughs> like LPL fans, LCK stands, get away. Like that's a man who's experienced some flame on social media right there. Um, but then, okay, so then why do people look at, like you guys are explaining like so many levels deeper than I think I hear from an outside perspective, right? Because when I cast, it's usually like, like I can see that a team comp can do a lot of things, but usually we're trying to pick one or two things to talk about. But even outside of that, when you see analysts talk about team compositions, it never feels as nuanced as yes and, but also, yes and, but the vision, yes and, but like, okay, top doesn't win, but top 2v2 is, or like top jungle 2v2 is better. Like, why do you think there is so much, let's say like surface level draft analysis out there? Or why do you think people don't go that deep? Why is it just like this draft wins because of scaling or that draft wins because early game, whatever? Um, because I think that decision-making in-game is extremely hard and you can't judge. Um, so all the things I'm saying right now depend on the players recognizing what they have to do in the game. So as we discussed before, and if you give as a coach them a draft where it's very clear what they have to do, they don't have to make decisions. The draft makes decisions for them. It's easy to play. It's easy to break down. Um, so I think that's just the barrier that also, again, player skill is a big thing um, in that regard because you need the experience and the ability to read the game. Um, as an example, um, Wonder is a player, um, at, I think it was Worlds Bootcamp, he plays against Naguri in a matchup, gets 0-6 in like 10 minutes. Afterwards says, the matchup is good, I just played well two differently, I played this differently, boom, 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 we played again, he goes 5-0. Um, that just means that he can take all the experience he has in the game and apply to certain situations that is in regard to matchups and also the game is played. That means a player like Wonder will always be fast at recognizing what he has to do than a player that plays at uh, a bottom tier team. And so I think it's unfair also to then hold those teams to that standards because again, we're talking about a very high level here. We're not talking about anything you can just learn by, by playing the game a bit. Like mm -hmm. you actually have to put hours and hours and hours, think about the game and be also um, intelligent enough and dominate the flame, but being able to um, 
translate knowledge in different states is hard. And it's a skill that you always need in life. Not everybody has that. So I think players that have that are naturally more gifted, or this is talent, this expression of talent. And therefore, the bigger teams, the better teams have those players and they can play towards those win conditions. I think also on the other end, facing always you guys and Fnatic, the resistance you face in terms of finishing games is completely different because we mentioned pressure points, but even in scenarios where you don't have pressure points, you need to recognize this because you need to change the pattern of how you're playing. Maybe you have to sit in some bushes. Maybe you're going to begin to use Fog of War more. You're beginning to uh, try to break the pattern of how the enemy is supposed to play. Let's say we need to prepare for Nash and instead of contesting Midwave, which is lost anyway, you're starting to sit in that bush that we need to break in order to uh, secure our Nash space. And I think these are the, the deep levels that, as you said, a lot of the lower teams don't operate at because when they're in that position where they're behind, all of a sudden the patterns of how they're going to play is no longer there. And I think that's the key thing. A lot of teams rely on patterns. And I think uh, the the G2 and Fnatic always kind of never do. You always figure out a way to, to do something. And I think that's usually, in my opinion, what separates the top two from, from the rest of the teams is always, always an active thinking in the game. How do we do it? Something happens. And then it's a reset, active thinking. What comes next, what comes next, regardless of if there's kills, if there's deaths, there's always kind of an adjustment uh, to the game. And I think, just to summarize, yeah, it's just a lot of teams rely on patterns. Yeah. Sure. And also goes both ways, right? Um, because I can say from experience that as a coach, you know the draft, okay, at 50 minutes, you're zero, you win the game. Mm. And as I turn around, I hear enemy triple kill. I'm like, ah, I guess we could, do I thought we could die if we couldn't. And I guess the game is lost. So, um, you, you can't you can't just always say that that was um, oddly specific huh? yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's personal experience not even talking on stage it just happens like we are drafting scrims and make a coffee come back at zero six I'm like what happened typical of a one hg2 you know like we just <laughs> run in or we couldn't i guess um so it's not that you can't play the game according to patterns because it makes the game easier and um as i said comfort is also really important um so skt is a team that was highly structured in how they play the game and they are really good. They didn't have to make good decisions, but their plan and their outlook on the game was so good that they could always threat. Um, but that's also why we feel very comfortable playing against Korean teams compared to Chinese teams. Because Korean teams, again, you know what they're going to do. They're really, really good at it. Like, don't get me wrong. They're really insane. But you always can be a step ahead if you think about the game. Mm -hmm. Against a team like FPX, IG, they throw your curveballs. Um, suddenly the Shy takes a trade and you're like, Okay, I guess he just wins 1v2. Um, things you just don't expect. Also, only specific, I know. But um, I've been there, man. Yeah. It's like screaming against IG the first time, it just blew my mind. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I can what also, are we doing here? Like, what was funny is that the entire year you look at LPL and you're like, oh my God, the entire game was a little one. Like, the flip in the game was <laughs> one. They're so bad. Like, what are you doing this? You know, that's how you think. And then you're screaming against them and we can't get to five minutes. Like, what's happening? They're, they're just molded in this little one fiesta the entire year that you have no chance. Um. It's always funny because I think that, like, one of the reasons that I think people really love, um, like, scaling is, is that it's, like, it's low risk, right? And so if you're not trying to be the best of the best in the world, right, if you're just trying to, like, get to the next goalpost, making playoffs, making top three, contesting someone in a best of five, like, low-risk strategies always make sense to me. And that, like, low-risk is so apparent in Korea. When a Korean team wins a game, like, you understand why, right? Like, you can see it. 
the puzzle pieces are there. You're watching a game of chess. Currently, because both teams are bad, but yeah, I know. yeah, okay, that's fine. Like, <laughs> sure, you can have like I think that's that's fair to say like overall the level of the league, right? Um, like, but when two when when one team just like out let's say out macros, I think it's the simple oversimplification of what they're doing. It's like very easy to understand how they won. You know, like, oh, they got pressure here. They used this pressure. They did this thing. The other enemy team couldn't respond. There have been no kills. There's no craziness. But then when you watch LPL, like everyone, I think for five years, everyone was like, this is the Fiesta region. And it is, but there's also a certain amount of brilliance there if you're willing to look deep enough that can also be totally cast aside as those moments that you're talking about where you're like, ah, well, I guess we're 06. And it's hard to know when it's like actually an act of brilliance, this thing that's been cultivated over time. I just think it's so much more difficult to understand, I think, like aggressive League of Legends decision making. I think I think it's just playing from that point will make you better than playing from the point of always trying to find the patterns. I think screaming Korean teams is super nutritious because they play as if like it's the, the most important game. They play structured. They don't do anything out of the ordinary. They always yeah. try to um, like uh, like if they do mistakes. When we were in the Freak, Freaks Gaming House, it was like Spirit came to us. He's like, yeah, I made a mistake, so I'm benched now. I was like, well, geez, okay. <laughs> and uh, Mowgli got to play and so forth. But uh, scream against LPL teams, and uh, this was the approach that we took too. Like Vitality was probably the worst scrim team to scrim against uh, last year, and that eventually uh, bit us in our behind. <laughs> the, yes, the, yes. the nods. <laughs> uh, but because uh, we were we were always playing in a way we were like we were just testing limits, testing limits, testing limits, and then when we play, played on stage, it was easy to to play in a way where oh we got the lead and then we just ran away with it because we were willing to play on that knife's edge. I think the LPL is the same. If you're trying to operate at that level and you're trying to really squeeze every possibility, then uh, you're going to have an edge against the teams that are trying to keep it as as simple and basic as possible. Like basically, if you are operating on that level of risk, you learn something. I think uh, the, the best example in contrast to the LEC was when when Caps came into the league. He like he had the game against Perks. He was always playing like pushing limits of what he could do. And I think that's a big part of why he became the player he is today, because he was trying to, to push that. And I see the same thing in G2. You guys are always trying to push the boundaries of what you can and cannot do. I think that's super, super important if you want to actually win a world championship like the LPL has done now for two years. So there's one thing that I want to hit here that's kind of separate from all this, back to kind of meta. I guess not really necessarily meta. These champions are kind of evergreen. They always seem to rear their heads. I love... The Sejuani's and Gragas's of the world. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest. Gragas is my favorite jungler. Remove E Flash from the game. Yeah, probably. It's broken since years. Yeah, Q Flash. Yeah, also, yeah, in general, probably Gragas. Do you remember when Cask used to be when before they nerfed Cask and you could just guaranteed get the the E Flash oh, yeah. Cask mm -hmm. every single time? Those were good years. Great years of League of Legends. G two won before you were the coach, like two years back to back with that, with Trick doing that every <laughs> single game. Um Wholesome times. Anyway, so those are the junglers that I love, right? They feel stable to me. I feel like they can do stuff in the early game. Yet, as long as there has been League of Legends, there has been Olaf. There has been Elise. There's been Lee Sin. These champions, Lee Sin less so, but Elise and Olaf, I think, are good examples of these very, very, like, super early game focused junglers who, to be honest, when you fall behind, look absolutely useless to me. And I've always... I'm like literally never excited, even when G2 picks, like maybe less example, because you have a Yumi and a Janna in the last game you played Olaf, so I could see the theory with obviously what we've seen the LCK do, but I'm never excited about these champions. I want to know how you both feel about them, because you, my friend with Mowgli in the jungle, 
were, <laughs> I won't call you a degenerate Olaf picker, but like that man was in the jungle from like, we called it psychopathing was yeah, what we yeah. called it when he oh, would invade yeah. at level two and stay in the enemy jungle yeah. until someone else came to push him out. Um, but these champions are like, I always feel like to me kind of the extreme of the scaling champion versus like really limited window, time window champions. And I wanted to know how both of you felt about them, thought about them, thought about even that perception. Like, am I wrong to think these champions are like, win early game or be useless? I, I think the key thing to do before we uh, jump into the conversation about junglers, I think for, for me it's important to define scaling. Because I think in a lot of cases people just think it's like, oh, Cassidy does a lot of damage, so he scales good. But I think it's always in contrast of what else is going on. Like Cassidy is not going to do well in a game where like Camille, Maokai, uh, Lucian, Brom is the enemy team. It doesn't matter, right? It's always in the context of what champions you have and what the champions the enemy have. And sometimes... For example, we spoke about the Olaf game when you guys picked Olaf. The only thing that needed to outscale that game, because Akali's not going to really play the game against Gragas and Yasuo and all that all the jazz they had, it was all about the Ezreal. When Ezreal has QSS, Ezreal was enough to, to outscale. Sure, there's Janna and Yumi, which are going to help him survive the initial combo when he QSSs and Kaiser has one stack or whatever. But there's only one champion that is required in order to outscale the whole composition. So Olaf did his job because people I was reviewing the game and people were like why did they pick Olaf it doesn't make sense with the comb because they want to scale but in the case where Gragas has, is playing against for example Sejuani he's going to invade he's going to have a good time he's going to take over the whole jungle Sejuani is going to be down three levels because of the Olaf it denies a lot of those possibilities Olaf could walk into waves and actually uh, give some sense of prior he secured the dragon and I think this always matters I think these jungle picks can bridge the gap between uh, uh, to that point in order to reach the point of a champion where they're going to take over the game. I think another good example is when you guys first faced Griffin. You had uh, Renekton against Orn. Like, obviously this game Talia got completely screwed over, no. so it's maybe not the best example, but Elise and Orn is a good example of Elise can make Orn reach the point where he's going to win the matchup and all of a sudden, uh, however strong Elise is, no longer matters because Orn is going to compensate. I think that's important to highlight that uh, it's always in the contrast of what champions you pick. There are definitely scenarios where these champions are useless, and there are champions where, uh, times where they are really, really good too, is my opinion. Uh, I also just think, again, it comes to... I mean, you correctly said scaling is always relative to the enemy team comp. Yeah. And scaling is, again, not only regarding to team fights, especially not only regarding front-to-back team fights, because I think this is always the context that's used. Yeah. If if we say like as as casters or analysts, they outscale. It means in a five v five scenario, five v five, they should win because they have a severe on the other team solution or something, right? But for I mean, Olaf is a different example because Olaf lacks utility. So if he is behind, he actually is useless yeah. compared to whatever champ he's against. But for example, so let's contrast Elise to Gragas. We can say Elise wins early game against it in the matchup, but then Gragas in a team fight is of course five times a champion. So Elise then has three options. First of all, um, which is the worst one, she hopes UAD is stronger, so suddenly she becomes a peel champion. She has Cocoon for what wants to dive, wants to create space, it's fine. Secondly, um, if you have Elise, usually you want to have an AD top laner who can spell push, so you can always win the fight, um, play around that way. Also, Gragas, of course, is a different scenario because the champ is broken and also good in 2v2s. So maybe not the best example, but then adjusting what Elise can do, right? For example, is she becomes an assassin. That means she does not want to be front to back. She doesn't want when I watch you run into her, she wants to be on a side. She wants to like be in the bush in the fog of war. The ID carry, especially if it's like a mobile ID carry like uh, Fidos right now, has to always care about the lease. 
then of course you can say, um, here's four items, here's QSS, at least it's useless. I mean, then we're reaching stages where you find so much. And then I think again, yeah, sure, we can scale your old scale, but then she goes sides, maybe do something else. Um, uh, same for Lee Sun. Lee always has a kick threat. So, for example, it, it reaches a point where you say, champs like Cassiophilos are worse against Lee than others because even if you're fat, 5 0, he can always kick flash you. Then you can also say again, um, yeah, sure, you can QSS flash, but you also have four other champs in it team that hopefully forced the QSS beforehand or something. So I, I, I refuse to believe that besides Olaf, because again, you know, utility, that um, even him against low, that a champ gets so outscaled that it's completely useless. It just if you play towards enemy enemy's team win conditions, then of course. But uh, I think if you have a pick that gets outscaled into obscurity that way, it should not be playable. Like it should not even be in discussion for meta. Um, so I think it's really rare that this happens. And sure, again, in the context of the enemy team, their gem can be more useful and can be hard for you, but it, it's never impossible. Um, there was something else I wanted to mention in that regard, Flea and Elise Olaf. But I forgot right now, maybe I remember. But um, yeah, again, um, if you ever feel outscaled in the game or your champ feels useless, then probably just not winning to the condition where it can be useful. Oh. That's super... I love this and I hate this because I feel like it's one, it's like, it's really cool and it's really good information to have. And it just feels like it puts so much more pressure and perspective on, once again, back on our original conversation of drafting, but then also on pro players and executing in the game. But but that's what I meant, right? Drafting is also a skill expression. And I, f I don't like the idea of saying that playing for early game is harder because if you draft for it, you trust your players to do it. Like, right? It's just that simple. Like, um, do every sport. Every team has a specific play style. Some... Um, are free-flowing attacking in football, some are defensive. And they do that because they have the players who can do it. They don't magically decide that, right? They don't roll the dice and say, today we play aggressive. So if it, if it, if it fucks up, then sure, you know, blows. But um, if you draft a comp like this, then um, I don't think playing defensive is easier. I think if you're a good aggressive team, you get the leads because you drafted for it. Um, and even if you don't, or I'm, say, I'm not saying the leads will be equally as strong as Gragas ever. Mm. And two, two items. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that Elise can adapt her playstyle to a way where she can still be useful. Um, that's all I'm saying here. Um, because then, if I see two teams meet a Drake and Elise runs in and dies and say, I see I'm useless, then, well, of course, if you play the champ this way, then <laughs> um, at that point in time, then it's hard for you. Um, then give up Drake or top in a top lane and try to create pressure that way. And then you have space, as I said before, with the pressure and you can do something else. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I know it's really wishy washy because. It also highly depends on player skill, but that's just how competition and sports go. Um, basically, as an example, sorry, for like soccer fans, Barcelona plays legit in a way where they say, give the ball to Messi and hope he does something. And that's one of the best teams in the world. And that's basically saying like, give Django Elise and hope, and hope he does something. And if I can't trust him to do that, then I'm taking away the skill expression of him. Like, he is a good player, and I should trust him to be able to make the correct steps. And even if he falls behind, I trust him to find the correct way to play the game afterwards. Dang. I actually really like it. I, you say it's wishy-washy, but to me it feels like it opens up so much more room for interpretation, which I really love. Because I think the thing, the, the, the thing that I hate in League of Legends and why I kind of didn't really enjoy the... Specifically, like, 2016, 2017, when I first entered casting, when Korea was still king, was because the game, everyone made the game out to be subjective. It was, you play this way, this is the right way, this is the correct way at all times to play the game. You pick these champions, this is how it works. 
Now, obviously, there was some room for interpretation. There was some innovation. We had, like, the misfortune Zyra thing, you know, coming out. But for the most part, it felt like you played the game a specific way. Oh. There were highlight moments, but for the most part, everyone wanted to do generally the same thing. And I like that what you're saying here and, like, what you're agreeing with, I like that there's a lot more consideration into, yeah, you know what? Like, sure, we go 60 minutes. Greg is obviously going to be a better champion. That doesn't mean that, like, one, you're going to execute it flawlessly, and two, it doesn't mean that I can't find that sick cocoon on an AD carry and win a team fight on Elise. Like, I like that. I think that's good to hear. I think... Um... I think the key thing, like if I, I like to pull the contrast with chess because I feel like LCK tried to play league as chess, but the biggest difference between chess and league, I think, is that in league there's just too many variables to play at that level of precision. Usually in competitive chess, the first 20 moves most of the time are predetermined, but then there's this occasional player that sways from uh, the, the kind of play that everyone's used to, and usually those are the players that are like the most exciting to watch because they put the enemy in a position where they are like treading waters they haven't been in before. It forces like active thinking. And I think the same contrast can be drawn to league. I think there's just too many variables to expect that players play with perfect precision because even like the best teams, like in, in your case, you guys went uh, last year, there was a lot of games that looked pretty uh, cocktail. There were moves, like even in the SKT series, there were times where like, I remember Wunda dying on side with Camille and I think, uh, like you guys TP'd there and both died and I was like, holy moly. But that's like, it's it's hard to expect a team to operate at perfect precision when you are trying to operate at that level. And, and then I wanted to add, I think a good thing to, to add is, you mentioned Gragas and what makes Gragas so OP, I think is also a good point to mention is he, he has almost no weakness in the game, I feel. Like he had this weakness where getting to level three was very difficult, but now he has so many options his predator gank is very OP. E flash is very OP. He can 2v2. He can team fight. He can contest mid prior. He's just so well rounded, and that's what makes him OP. While Sejuani was OP at the time where top laners were like Camille, Renekton, Kled, and so forth, because she always had like a point of pressure. And now you see less of that. So Gragas is just OP because that's a good way of thinking about draft. That the well rounded champions are usually the ones that are most successful. Looking at you, Zerxi. <laughs> Greg is king. Yeah. Uh, so to kind of just wrap this discussion up, I just like, I really want to, like, coming away from this, look more at players in tight situations. And now I've got this idea for a piece of content, which I'm going to try to milk on broadcast, where we just literally show players a screenshot of the map and ask them how they play their champion. Because I think it's interesting and it's something that you don't, unless you hear comms, you don't get to see because you don't know who's making calls, right? Because there are those players out there who are all hands, no brain. And someone else is like, all right, come here, get this wave, do this thing, we're doing this thing, like the old school season three shot calling days. But that makes it so much harder to know. And as you said, I think it's going to make a lot of people mad because it's like, how the hell do I know what this guy's thinking in this exact moment? Um, but also I think makes it really cool. Um, last thing, Grabs, you're taking it easy. You're going to handle this new curveball of a schedule. This week you have Rogue and Excel. How late are you staying up to play Magic the Gathering? I mean, yesterday we played, I think, four hours after scrims. Um, so yeah, solo queue is suffering for sure. Um, probably going to play on Thursday again. On <laughs> Friday probably too. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It doesn't really, again, matter too much. We're very confident in what we're doing. Um, and yeah, as, as you said, um, we made it, like, first of all, really important in this regard is that we as a team came together and talked about this beforehand. So this is not something where suddenly somebody feels frustrated, even if you lose. 
because it's happy front, this is spring, this is how we approach it. Do we agree? Yes or no? Yes, we do. So I think um, we all know that we're currently not playing much solo queue, we're chilling, and if we lose, then so be it. Um, okay, that sounds very as if we don't care at all. Basically, we're not stressing ourselves out to have like good performances in best of ones. Yeah. And we don't mind as much being first seed or second seed in the regular season. And then towards playoffs, when you actually, the games matter more, preparation especially matters more. Um, we're going to ramp it up. Um, so yeah, probably, same as last week, play with magic. Um, play get, with the magic. Get, hopefully, survive to run five, so one doesn't one-shot the entire table. But if he does, then... Just, can you please just make a... Tell... Uh, Tell your team, tell the entire content team, make a series. That's all I'm saying. There's a lot of Magic <laughs> players out there. Every time we bring this up, I get like three or four messages about either some OP standard deck or some OP commander deck. So all I'm saying is, G2, make a content series. Don't, just don't. Don't, don't <laughs> take need, away the enjoyment, please. I need to ask because it's on the topic of... Because uh, I've always been in teams where I've always viewed the year like a marathon. It's like qualified tours, that's the whole thing. And for you guys... How long do you need in order to feel like you've prepared on this patch? Let's say you need to hardcore practice in preparation for tournament on a specific patch. How long time? Like, what's the perfect time frame for you? It really depends also on the position, right? Okay. Um, because we can go back to bootcamp to this world, which was, uh, in hindsight, I think the biggest reason we didn't win tournament. You scrims, huh? <laughs> we stayed in Europe and we played against teams like Clutch. We played against teams... Wildcard, by the way, Clutch is the worst first two team that ever graced Worlds, I think. Like, <laughs> uh, it was really, really bad. And that, that team could go to Worlds is like mind-blowing in the major region. Anyways, um, so what happened is we... I have to be sad. Like, no, I uh, just love it because earlier you're like pulling your punches. Like, I have the best players, I think, in the LEC. And here you're like, Clutch <laughs> sucks. <laughs> oh, sorry. Come at me. <laughs> it's like, because I always try to go the route that I like... I really want an A to be competitive and I like Liquid and I like Cloud9 now, but I think it's really hard for them to be good in their region. That's yeah. why I was like, hit the other teams, right? Um, anyways, back to the topic. We had those scrim partners and no matter how often you play them, you can never be prepared because you don't know what works. It enters someone and they were jet lagged. That was the first day they came and they smashed us. It was not even funny. We could not play League of Legends. <laughs> and we were boot camping there for like 10 days and we we're like, the tournament starts in a week. What the are we doing? Like, what is happening? We have no idea what to do. Like, everything, like, full of board and, like, try everything new again. And afterwards, we felt more prepared because we actually know what good teams do. So I think it really doesn't depend on much how what we think is good, but more what it's tested against good opposition. And, um, but I think, again, I'm blessed with these players who adapt very fast and have played many different matters. So they don't have to, like, learn something new. They know, okay, LeBlanc match up five years ago, played like this, I can play it again. Yeah. Uh, so probably a week. And then I think then we can start experimenting and then we can see whatever we use from there. Well, and then maybe a pack top comes again or something like this. <laughs> I I was so sad when they killed. They're, you know that they're just anything that you take into the top lane, they're going to gut. Pretty, pretty much. It's already gone. The support item's gone in top lane. We'll see, we'll see what one, else. One that will find a way. He already has like a list of five new champs that oh are in top laners. The a million wonders of the world. We're running out of... We're, it was nice when it was seven. Now it's 38. 56. Soon it's going to be the entire champion. Also, if, if you guys have asked how we come to those picks and how Wonder is so creative, this is, we're talking about the guy and I'm going to leak something in scrims this way. We had a scrim block in um, IG and it went well for us. Went to the last game, he just looks at me, do you trust me? Like, can I let us interlock something? Like, sure, go for it. He interlocks Shaivana, goes into the game and types the Shaivana in all chat <laughs> and the Shai is just like <laughs> tilting out of his mind. They tried to rage dive him. 
they can't, they get both get killed, they insta F the game and go next. <laughs> and this is wonder as a person, like this guy is actually, I don't want to say psychopath, but so crazy in his head. And, but we all trust him, so he can do what he wants. And if it works, then you suddenly have Jenna Top Lane, which Jenna Top, you played the two games before stage. Like, I want to play Jenna Top and like, yeah, go for it. And then I want to play on stage against Fnatic. We had no practice on it. Like in hindsight, we said we saw so many, so much stuff we could have, should have done differently. Like, for example, Jenna Olaf got top together, Olaf pushes out and gets strong. We didn't do that. And like in hindsight, this is very obvious. But Wonder is that kind of guy. And, and to a certain extent, everybody in this team is. So that's also why Scrims are messy, but also why we're so fun to watch, I guess. It's why so many people love your team, Grabs. Um, I just want to say thanks again um, for coming on as we wrap it up. I'm excited to see the next Dush Ivana hot <laughs> pick. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll see it all later this week. Uh, thank you uh, for joining us once again. Week 8 of the LEC is going to start tomorrow. Ready check at 17.30. Don't forget daily saving times uh, to all you out there in NA. And we'll see you next week for another episode of Euphoria.